Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John was one of the books of the Bible that was written by the Apostle John. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of John, we believe 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also the book of Revelation. John was an interesting character. When Jesus met him, he and his brother and their dad had a fishing business. Now, I don't know if you know much about commercial fishermen. Maybe you've watched the deadly catch on TV, and you get the image that commercial fishermen are not an overly sensitive bunch of guys. They're rugged, tough, determined individuals who have a very difficult way to make a living. And that was John. You get the picture when you recognize that Jesus named he and his brother the sons of thunder. So they were the kind of guys who wouldn't be expected to be real syrupy and sweet, definitely. Guys that we probably wouldn't pick as a disciple or certainly hire as a pastor. But something happened to John whereby later on in life, he was known as the apostle of love. Talked about love all the time. Somewhere along the road, his life was transformed by the fact that Jesus loved him. In fact, so transformed that he called himself in his own gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved. Being loved by Jesus changed everything with John. And boy, do we see that in this book of 1 John, where from the beginning and all the way through the book, he is emphasizing how much God loves us and what that does to us, the transforming nature of being loved by God. And I am absolutely convinced that nothing will change someone's life more than understanding that they are loved. And there's no way to know more of what it is to be loved than to realize that you have been loved by God. It's the pivotal factor in our own self-awareness. It's why when the Father chose to reveal the glory of the Son, what did he say? He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God basically said, I love him, he's my son, that makes all the difference. That's all he needs by way of identification, is that he is my son, loved by me. And so John loves to communicate this message to us as well. Because in the same way that that love transformed John, that love is the only thing that has a chance of transforming us. And that's what he talks about here in this third chapter. And the, the verses that we're going to look at today, and in particular the first three verses of this third chapter, are, I think, the center of everything that John is trying to say in this letter. He says, behold, verse 1, behold, that means look at this. What manner, what kind of, of love the Father has bestowed on us, has just piled and gifted on us, that we 
should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And we'll stop there for a moment. John calls us to focus on, to meditate on, to be aware of the kind of love that God has for us. Not just this, oh yeah, God loves us all, you know, just like we say, you know, I love pizza. Um, I love the UFC, even when the main fight is, is a bad one. I love, you know, to ride my motorcycle, but not in the rain, so I missed yesterday. I, you know, we throw that word around as if, oh yeah, of course, God loves us. And we even say, you know, God loves us, therefore Jesus died for us. And we can say that without a tinge of passion or emotion or even awareness of what that love really took, what it, what it required and what it means. But John is calling our attention to by saying, behold, look at this, pay attention to this. Think about the kind of love that God has for us. He's piled it on us that, that we should be called children of God. And the word there for called doesn't imply that this is just something that we are referred to as. It's the idea that he has made us his child. Now think about that. If God the Father wanted to identify himself and his relationship in the Trinity by saying, it's like we are father and son. And then when he wants to put his stamp of approval on Jesus, he says, this is my son. I love him. John is saying, I witnessed that event, and I'm telling you, it's just absolutely stunning. It's mind-blowing that God is saying, and I want you to be my kid, too. And I am pleased with you. And I love you. And so I am adopting you, but it's more than just adopting you. I'm actually making you my offspring. Later he talks about his seed is in us. In some incomprehensible way, God doesn't just adopt us, but he makes us his children, his dear children. He connects us to him. In, 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 a, in an analogous way, when the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, and as a result, she came forth with the virgin birth, now that's a picture, in a sense, of what he does to us when he places the Holy Spirit within us and he says, now you are my child. Now, obviously, the connection that we have with God is different than, than the one who was from the beginning, than the one who created everything. And yet God is wanting to include us in that relationship. And that's just unbelievable to John, even after all these years. And he's just saying, oh, it's so important that you get this. We are connected 
in a, in a very real and deep and spiritual way to him, and it's because he loved us that much. Now, you know, Paul talked about the fact that we know love because while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So God saw us the way we were and said, I love you in your sinful state so much that I want to be with you forever. I want to be as close to you as I could possibly be. I want to live inside you. I want you to be my loved child. I want you to be the one who can be as close to me as is possible and for you to understand I love you. And that's something that the world can't comprehend, as he says. The world doesn't get it because it doesn't know him. The relationship that we end up having with God is something that's hard to explain. It has to be experienced. And if you've never responded to God's love, this is a difficult concept for you to get a hold of because you have to give him permission to love you as well. Some of us have come to the point of receiving Jesus Christ, and yet we still struggle with this awareness. We still struggle with the fact that we are actually loved this much. The fact that we actually have a, a father who cares this deeply about us. Um, in life, it's a transforming thing to have someone love you. And, it, and that's what makes it exciting to have children. Because when you have a child, that is an opportunity for you to just completely love someone and have that love define them. Have that love draw them, transform them. And those of us who grew up without having that kind of a relationship understand very well what we missed. But sometimes it's hard for us to then pass that on. But when we have children and just instinctively we have this love for these children, it helps us to begin to discover. And that's why he uses this metaphor of a father and a child because anyone who has had a child um, almost anyone who's had a child understands that love that you have for them instantly. And, and that love that really doesn't die no matter what they do. And that's beginning to tell the story of what God has done for us. But sometimes we are unable to understand and receive God's love because um, maybe on a human level we haven't felt secure and safe in having that kind of a relationship. So it's difficult for us. But that much more important that we come to understand how much God loves us. He loves us in a way that no one else ever could. He loves us in a way that everyone else should have but didn't. He is the solution to the lack of love that we all sense at one time or another in our lives. That love that makes you feel safe and secure. That love that allows you to respond by being yourself. The love that makes it safe for you to tell the truth. That's what a father's love is. And, and that's what John wants us to recognize. He loves you that much. And yeah, people who don't know him don't get this. 
the best they can do is come up with some artificial attempts at comprehending this, but most of the time what the world knows of love is you love something until it does something bad to you and then you're over it. You're through loving. And that's how we learn not to love, frankly, is that the objects of our affection at an early age often repay us, repay our attempts at love by burning us and cutting us off. And as a result, we begin to develop a crust around ourselves, a crust that I believe only the love of God can truly break through. Now, a person's love can certainly help. It's really transforming anytime you realize that anyone loves you. But understanding how God loves you, how much he loves you, the closeness that he wants to have with you makes all the difference in the world, both in your own self-identification and in your capacity to relate to God, and then ultimately, as we'll see next week, in your ability to then go ahead and love others. There are some people who are seemingly unable to love, incapable of love. If you haven't received love fully, then of course you don't know how to love. Like the world, you don't get this, you don't understand it. I don't believe that anyone who doesn't know that they are loved is capable of, of loving in the way that they should. And, you know, John tells us later that we learn to love because he first loved us. He primed the pump of that love. And so I could stop right there. The truth is, if you are not understanding that God loves you incredibly deeply, if you are not comprehending that he loves you so much that he has made you his child, then going beyond that is meaningless. And I would propose to you that virtually everything that's wrong with our lives starts out with not understanding that we are loved. It's understanding that we are loved that then starts the ball rolling of everything else good that can ever happen in our lives. And so John just says, look at this. Look at how God loves you. When you feel your life getting off track, when you feel yourself not loving others like you should, when you feel yourself feeling down or depressed, when you see yourself just falling into patterns of destructive behavior, I guarantee you the problem is at its root, you just don't understand the kind of love that God has for you. You don't understand what it means to be his child. And maybe in your head 40, 50 years ago, you decided to accept Jesus because you wanted him to fix you or to, to be your God or whatever. But if you are continuing to struggle with failure in your life and sin, it will always be to the extent that you don't see his love the way that you should. And so always, where in our own minds what we want to do is, if I mess up, I want to dwell on how I failed. If I blow it, I want, I'm determined that I am going to fix this. But recognize this today if you don't recognize anything else. 
any way in which you fail, and we're going to go on and look about what he has to say about sin, but anything that's wrong with you, the remedy of that is to rectify that which allowed that to happen in the first place, and that is to discover what it is to be loved completely, unconditionally, eternally. When you understand that love, it sets you free to be his child, to understand what it is to be related to him. And that's why Jesus on the cross with people who were being cruel to him, ridiculing him, they had just beaten him within an inch of his life, were now, were now mocking him. And as they drove nails into his hands and feet and as they took his life from him, or so they thought, his cry, his prayer was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And there is a sense in which every stupid thing we ever do is because of ignorance. And at the root of our ignorance is an ignorance of how much God loves us. Don't beat yourself up over that. Hey, you probably came upon your unwillingness to understand how God loves you honestly. Perhaps people programmed it into you. Perhaps you missed something along the way. Perhaps Satan has just been lying to you and robbing you. But you have to understand the answer to everything that's wrong in our lives is to come back to beholding the kind of love that God has for us, that he wants us to be his children, that he, he makes us his children. And you might go, I don't know. I don't feel like that. I fail more than I succeed. I'm a complete mess. Look what he says then in verse 2. Be loved. (laughs) He goes, look, you're loved. Now, now, we are children of God. And yet it hasn't been revealed. Phanerao in the Greek from the word phaneros, which means to shine forth. He's saying, look, so far, you're not glowing like you should be. You're not transfigured yet. You are not who you are going to be. It hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, Phanerao, when he shines forth, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Yes, where I am right now, I am not a perfect reflection of God's love. And sometimes I do love someone with that pure love in a particular situation, but it might be the next day I'm having a hard time showing them that same love. It might be that this morning when I got up, I was just flooded with the love of God. And by second service, I might be feeling completely desperate and unloved and unappreciated. It happens that fast. And what he's saying is, look, don't expect that all of your light is shining now. He, you are his child and you are loved because he says so. And right now you haven't come to that full fruition of the deepest awareness of that love. Therefore, your transformation is happening in a progressive, 
roller coaster sort of way. Don't think that because you're not just completely blown away by his love all the time, that therefore you're not his child. No, he makes it really clear here. No, look, you are his child now. If you have confessed your sins and received Jesus Christ, right now you're his child. And he loves you as much right now as he will ever love you in heaven. He loves you as much right now as he will ever love you 20 years from now if the Lord tarries and you just get so good and so holy that you're an amazing person. He loves you as much right now as he will when you can step away completely from your addictive behavior. He loves you as much right now as he will ever love you when you break up that wrong relationship or when you stop stealing or you quit lying or, you, or when his love transforms you, it's not going to make him love you anymore because you are his child now. And his love for you is something that comes from him as a free gift. Nothing you can do will make him not love you. And nothing you can do can ever make him love you more. He's not like human love. It's not like the world where if you do well, they will love you. And if you do poorly, they will hate you. Now you are his child. And he loves you now. And understanding that he loves us while we are a mess is where the transformation really begins. But he says, yeah, we're not glowing yet. We're not wearing the halo yet. No, it hasn't yet been revealed what we're going to be. Revealed by him. He knows. He sees us the way we're going to be. But right now, we are in a rough transition period. Living in a place that's dominated by people who don't understand his love. Surrounded by people, even the Christians who surround us, most of whom are incapable of loving in the way that they should be because they haven't received that love for themselves. And so we're all kind of in the same boat and it hasn't yet been revealed, but we know this. When he is revealed, then we are going to be similarly revealed in the same way. When he shines forth, we will shine forth. And the reason why is because we reflect his glory, we reflect his shining the better we reflect him, the more we will shine ourselves. Someday when we see him as he is, therefore when we know completely how much he loves us, then our transformation will be complete as well. But even now we're his children, and even now a part of our revelation can happen as we reflect his glory and see his love for what it is. But ultimately, we will be like him. And that's what he goes on to explain here in the rest of this chapter is that it's so important to see his love. It's so important to see him because seeing him makes us more like him. Seeing him allows us to share in his glory, in his effectiveness, in his wisdom, in his success. And so he says, look, we are already his children. But don't expect to shine all the time. Don't expect that now you're going to look just like him. But man, when we see him now and in the future, his glory will reflect off of us. And in fact, we will be changed. 
as a result. And ultimately where I'm going is I'm going to look just like him. And then he goes on and says, and everybody who has this hope, the word there means this anticipation, this expectation. Everyone who has this expectation in him purifies himself, makes himself clean, holy, hagnos, just as he is pure. Nothing could describe God better than pure. He is the real deal. He's perfect. Jesus Christ never sinned. He's a man. He was tempted in every way as we are. He never failed. The way he lived his life, the way he will spend all of eternity is the epitome of perfection. And what God wants to do to us is by showing us that we are related to him and that we are so loved by him, when we see him more accurately, we will change ourselves to look more like what we are going to one day look like. Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ and you're his child, I can tell you there is a perfect you coming in the future. All the things that you haven't been able to do, all of the things that you've failed at, all those things you've dreamed of and haven't become fulfilled, all those ways in which your heart is just longing for something more, the day is coming when all of that will be taken care of. But the cool thing is, we don't become his children then, we are his children now. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It starts right now. It starts today and every day when I say, God, I need to see how much you love me. And I need to understand what I am going to be when I grow up. And as I see your love and your plan, it's going to have an effect on how I live my life, how I follow through on all that God shows me. And so the day will come, don't worry, when we see him and realize, Jesus, I expected you to look differently than this. I'm looking at you, and you look like what I have become. All the things that I hated that you did in my life that forced change on me, I'm realizing I look more like you. Even in my scars, even in my, even in my hurts and my passion, all that you've done in my life has been a process of making me like you, making me perfect. Jesus is not just the ideal God. Jesus is the ideal man. And when we see him, we will be amazed at how much he looks like us. But the perfect us, the us we always dreamed of, the us we desired to be, he's the fulfillment of that. And when we understand that, it changes now. It makes a difference now. If a relationship with Jesus was just something that gives you a ticket to heaven, and life is just going to stink, and then we die, and then all of a sudden everything's perfect, um, I suppose it would make some sense to just live life however you want. That's the way most people do. But the fact is, he wants to be connected to us now, and he loves us now, not just later. 
And so John is just saying, you got to see this because this is going to make a difference in your life. You will see your life purified. You will actually do things that cause your life to be improved because of how much he loves you, because of the way he loves you. Now, the idea of purifying yourself, even as he is pure there in verse 3, let's face it, we've all tried that. I mean... We've all bought self-help books. We've all listened to sermons that we thought would fix us. We've all been determined every year as we come to the end of the year, we make resolutions of ways in which it's just going to be different. And we hear somebody give a message about how important it is to read the Bible, and we go, I'm going to read it every day for at least an hour and a half. And all of those are with good intentions, Every time you go on a diet, you mean well, right? I mean, you you don't go on a diet because, you know what, I hate myself and I'm going to starve myself. That'll show them. I mean, maybe there are some people who do that. But for most of us, it's like you look in the mirror, you go, I'm a pig. And you look at what you eat and you go, this is disgusting. And sorry, Thanksgiving's a little ways off. You'll be over it by then. But stay away from the Halloween candy. But, uh, I mean, we all mean to clean ourselves up. We all do everything that we can to try to stop hurting ourselves, to try to stop hurting others, and to try to treat ourselves better. Our attempts at personal discipline are all about purifying ourselves. But the problem is, most of the time, to be honest, an awful lot of my motivation for self-improvement isn't because I feel loved. My motivation for self-improvement, more often than not, is because I feel hated, is because I feel devalued, is because I feel like I'm worthless, and if I can just fix myself, maybe I will be worth something. Listen, that is exactly the opposite of how God wants us to change. He doesn't want us to change because we think he'll love us. He doesn't want us to change because people around us can't stand us and we're by ourselves all the time, although that may be a motivating factor, but it's not one that will work. What he wants us to do is to realize that we are already okay with him, that he loves us and accepts us just the way we are. And when we get that into our head and in our heart, we begin to feel lighter, we begin to feel more empowered, and now we go, really? I don't have to do this? I don't have to quit this or stop that or do this? You just love me anyway? Well, that doesn't make you want to go, that's great. I'm going to go eat a whole pie today. Because if God doesn't care, well, I didn't say he doesn't care, but what I'm saying is, He loves you just as much if you eat yourself to death. He loves you just as much if you shoot heroin in your veins. He loves you just as much if you drink yourself into a stupor. He loves you just as much if you never work again. He loves you just as much if you go out and do everything that your body tells you to do. He loves you that much. And when you understand that, you'll notice it because you will discover, wow, I now get to live up to what he has done for me instead of having to try to work up something that will bring that about. A hunger for love that will never be satisfied 
as opposed to the freedom from a love that is absolutely unconditional. And, and that's what frees us up actually to change. And so he says, everybody who has this hope, this expectation, purifies himself even as he is pure. He elevates us. The world puts us down to try to get us to change. Everything in the world's economy is designed to make us feel like something is missing. What God does is he comes along and says, there is absolutely nothing missing. I love you. And when we sense that, it sets us free to do the right things for the right reason. It doesn't set us free to do the wrong things. The reason why we abuse ourselves and others is because we don't understand how much he loves us. We don't realize we are children of God. We think we are children of Satan. We think we are children of nothing. We think we are products of the mean way that people treated us in our lives. But he illuminates us and says, no, you're better than that. You're children of God. And you'll know when you know that he loves you and you'll know when you know that you're his child really well when life starts to improve and it's just something that you haven't worked really hard at, it's just something that he is doing in your life. And I'm convinced a lot of people are enslaved to sin because they haven't yet discovered that God loves them even while they're sinning that he looks on them, and yes, his heart breaks when we hurt ourselves, but it doesn't turn his love away from us at all. And now he just begins to develop this process more and kind of clarify some things in these next verses, and we'll go through them quickly. He says in verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, the, the word for commit there is a present infinitive of the word poieo, which is the word to make, it's, it, it's, it means that you are in the process of creating sin. You are, you're putting together a formula for sin. And so it's not talking about, you know, that, and in all these verses, they can be misunderstood, and people think, you mean if I sin ever, then I don't know God? No, not at all. We already covered that in chapter 1, and if you didn't hear our study of 1 John 1, you need to go back and look at that. A person who says they don't sin is a liar. They're fooling themselves, and they're calling God a liar. So, no, that's not what he's saying. But in all of these verbs in this section about, about sinning, they are, in, in the Greek, they have what's called the present tense. And this is a linear present tense. It, it's, it doesn't refer to just that you've sinned once in a while or that you fall into sin or whatever. What it's talking about is that this is the pattern of your life. It could be translated here, whoever just continues sinning the way they always have also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Not lawlessness as being not following the Old Testament law. Law in terms of disobeying the law of Christ. The law that John tells us, Jesus said, here's my commandment. Love people the way I love you. That's his basic principle. And he says to go against what God says as a pattern of your life is to go against who you are as his child 
and is to deny the very basic rule of life that God has put into place. Now, in this, it's important to remember what we talked about in chapter 1, what sin is. The Greek word for sin used here and elsewhere is hamartia. And it's a word that we sometimes say it means to miss the mark. But the, if, if it's miss the mark, the word for mark there is the word, the root of it is the word meros in the Greek. And meros is a word that means your part. It's when they would cut up a pie, when you would get your share, that was your meros. And the word came to mean, and sometimes was even translated, your destiny. What, what he refers to as sin is doing something that mars your destiny, that robs you of becoming everything that God wants you to be. And he says, if you just keep living the way you're living, and you constantly come short, miss the mark, and the target is that life that God has for you, you functioning at your best, you using your gifts and your talents, you just immersed in life and in that abundant life that Jesus talks about. He says, so if you're missing that on a continual basis, obviously you are living apart from the basic laws of life. And of course that doesn't work well for you. And you know, verse 5, that he was manifested, the reason why he came in the first place, to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So he says, all this stuff about being loved and forgiven is not so that you can just keep sinning. Sin is horrible. Sin's the problem. Doing the wrong things is what's messed up your life. So he said, I'm not teaching some sort of an antinomianism, an against instead of law thing where, oh, now you just break all the rules and it all works out okay. No, it's not magic like that. When you sin, he forgives you, but there are consequences and still the goal of our life should be to live life right. The goal of our life should be that there is that target that he has, that amazing life that God wants to give us, and our goal should be to hit that target, right? So he says, no, I mean, there's no sin in him. Verse 6, whoever abides in him, really stays connected to him, does not sin. And again, it's that linear present and active indicative here in this case. But it's the idea of if you abide in him, you can't continue to sin like you used to. It won't happen. Something is going to change. Because whoever is continuously sinning, has neither seen him nor known him. Again, once you see him, and once you understand how much he loves you, that has to make a change in your life. Because you've been sinning because you're a slave to sin. When you are set free, things happen differently. And so he says, no, you'll notice a change. But you don't stop sinning so that you'll know God. You don't stop sinning so that he will love you. You let him love you and you will see that in his timing and in his way, he will help you to begin to live a life that heads in the right direction. I think a lot of people get so stumbled because when they get saved, there are certain things that they just think, I've got to stop doing that because I'm a Christian. And as a result, sometimes they can't, in their own discipline, stop whatever habit it is that they were struggling with. 
But God's been working in their life often and changing so many other things in their life. And yet, for, for instance, I've known plenty of people who they come to Christ and they go, oh boy, I really need to quit smoking because I know Christians don't smoke. And, and, and they focus on that so much. And, and maybe God hasn't done that work in them, but God's doing all sorts of other things in their lives, but ultimately the fact that they're still sucking on a cigarette is causing them to not see how much God loves them, and Satan is using that sin to actually block their vision from that which ultimately would give them victory over smoking, but over a million other things that are way more important than smoking. I mean, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not in favor of smoking. I think, but I don't think it's an unchristian thing to do any more than Twinkies are. But, but I think that, and I'm very gracious toward people who have that habit, but, but smoking is just stupid. When you understand, you know, I had somebody call me up on the radio one time and say, you know, can you still, can you smoke and go to heaven? And I said, sure. In fact, you'll get there a lot sooner than the rest of us. And then one time, and then Pastor Chuck said, yeah, I have people ask me if I'll go to hell for smoking. And he said, now you won't go to hell for smoking. You'll just smell like you've been to hell. <laughs> but, but see, the important thing is to understand that God loves you. That ends up freeing you up. And every reason why you are addicted to every bad behavior is connected to your not understanding how much he loves you and not understanding that you are his child. But he sets the pace. So don't get bummed because there's something that you've been trying to quit that you can't quit. Enjoy his forgiveness and his love and celebrate all the other things that God's been doing in your life. You've probably changed in a million ways that you should be excited about instead of getting bummed out about a couple of things that you're still struggling with. God isn't done with you yet. It hasn't yet appeared what we're going to be. But yes, understand this. Sin is destructive. And God wants to remove all of it. And finally, when we look like him, none of our sins will be there. But hey, you know, as he says here, um, don't let anyone deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So he said, no, don't, don't let anybody fool you into thinking that you can be righteous and then do everything wrong. That's illogical. He makes you righteous, he declares you righteous, so that you can start doing right things. And having the perspective of being his child is what frees us up to do right things. And then he says, he who's continually sinning is of the devil. Every time we sin, we're doing something that the devil wants us to do, something that's characteristic of his pride. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. He started it. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ came so that he could help us stop destroying ourselves, stop destroying our planet, Stop destroying our families. Stop destroying our friendships. Everything that sin comes to destroy, Jesus came to say, I'm going to put a stop to that. And so if you're going to understand who he is, you're going to see this amazing thing that starts to happen where you stop contributing as much to the pile of sin as you were before. And then in verse 9, whoever has been born of God doesn't keep on sinning. 
the same. For his seed remains in him. We are actually his children. And he cannot sin or cannot go on sinning, really, because he has been born of God. Ultimately, the only victory that we will ever have over sin is when we come to understand that our sins have been forgiven. Discipline, simple discipline won't do it. There's nothing wrong with discipline, but understand that's not how you're going to fix yourself. You'll be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Beholding the love of God, looking at Him, understanding His his just unbelievable, amazing grace that he has for us. When you can finally see yourself through his eyes as his loved child, as the one who he is just passionately planning your future and forming and shaping you into that perfect version of you, as he is channeling your life toward the target and removing everything that's keeping you off base away from his plans for your life when you understand that the change happens and you actually cooperate with it you'll start to one of the first things that you'll notice is when you're noticing how much god loves you you'll feel kind of stupid doing things that you've used to that you used to do when you when you act in an unloving way it, it just won't feel right when you're sinking back into your patterns of sin, it'll start to feel like somebody else is doing it. Like, this is weird. This doesn't... And then very naturally you go, wow. I mean, I thought I had to fight against that I want to do this. Now I'm finding out that he is actually giving me the desires of my heart. He's actually making me want to do the right things. And definitely follow through on that and live up to the way he sees you. Live up to the, to the plan that he has where he's ultimately going to make you into that perfect version of you that looks so much like him. When that happens, things change. If you look at your life and you go, not much is changing, to be honest with you. Then I call your attention to the God who loves you the God who wants you to be his child, the God who is unconditional in his passionate plans for your life. And if you haven't responded to his love, oh, maybe you believe in your head. Oh yeah, Jesus is God, he's born of a virgin, he rose from the dead. He's gonna... You know what? Demons believe all that stuff and it's not helping their life one bit. But there has to be this acceptance of saying, I'm afraid to let someone love me because it's hurt in the past, but saying, I want you to love me. And that's what it is to become his child. That's what it is to be born again. If you haven't done that, please do it today. You simply come to him and open your life to him and say, I want to know your love. Now, if life has been a struggle for you and you know he loves you, but man, you're still just trapped by so much destructive behavior. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting others. You're driving people away from you. Please today get back to his love. Get back to this declaration of the kind of love that he has for you because if there's something wrong in your life, that's what's wrong. There'll be people up here in the front after the service who would love to pray with you. 
If you just need to get a fresh start with the Lord, or maybe you need to respond to his love for the first time, make sure that you come up and, and get that clear with the Lord. Start over today. It's an awesome opportunity to, to bask in his love and to begin to focus on it. And this week, if you've been feeling like you failed a lot lately, I would challenge you, forget about where you failed. Don't focus on what's wrong in your life this week. But instead, focus on how much he loves you. That seems so contradictory because no one else in the world loves us totally that way. But he does. Please focus on his love. That is the only thing that will ever change your life, really. That's the only thing that will help you begin to hit the target. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and for your truth. And this reminder that you want to be our dad. That there's a, a deep connection that you want to make with us on a spiritual level. And that you love us passionately and unconditionally and graciously. And that love is the only thing that will ever change anything about us. So God, help us to respond to your love. People who are here and listening on the radio who have never made that decision to respond to your love, oh, help them to see it. Help them to know how glorious it is to be completely set free. We just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.